Welcome to another Tyrius cast. I'm Kevin Crewell, and I'm joined today by my colleague Jim McGregor. Today we are going to discuss the changing of the guard at a number of companies. Amazon, Intel, Qualcomm. Some of these were planned. One was definitely not planned ahead of time. Jim and I will discuss the conditions that led to these changes, the impact to the companies going forward, and which company could be next. So, Jim, let's kind of work it in order. Let's start with Amazon, which is maybe the smoothest of the transitions, although that surprised most everybody else. But apparently this had been well planned in advance. It sure seems that way. I mean, Andy Jossi is going to be taking over for Jeff Bezos. He's a longtime person in the company. He's been part of the whole Amazon philosophy and business philosophies uh, and agrees with Jeff on pretty much everything. He was chief of staff before he became the CEO of AWS when it was launched. So he's been in that role for almost two decades. Obviously, that being a critical part of Amazon's business and him being critical in establishing that, it kind of seemed like a no-brainer. Although the timing seems a bit odd, but let's face it, there's only so many billions you can make, and Jeff Bezos now has other activities he's focused on, like space and internet service. So that may be part of it. Yeah, I think so. I and mean, the other thing is, uh, Amazon's maybe a little more challenging right now. There's a, a movement to unionize labor. So I think there are some changes at Amazon that maybe uh, Bezos is saying that he wants to go uh, work on other projects and leave the dirty work of running the company to basically his right-hand man. It seems like Jazzy's been set up to do this. And, I mean, AWS has been one of the, the starring parts of Amazon. And so I, I guess you would expect to see more uh, emphasis on AWS going, AWS going forward, too. Yeah, well, Amazon is the largest cloud service provider, so it kind of does seem natural. This was obviously something planned. It's not something that was necessarily out of characteristic, I think, for Amazon or for either of these executives. Yeah, and I'm going to go out of order. Let's talk about Qualcomm, because that seemed to be well-planned in advance as well. So what do you think uh, the transition from Malenkov to uh, Cristiano? You know, this is an interesting one, and I, I really like this one. First off, you have to remember that Qualcomm's history is being a really, really conservative company. And, you know, before all this stuff happened with Broadcom and Apple, the management team wouldn't even talk about the company itself. It wouldn't talk about its leadership, wouldn't talk about, you know, didn't want to be seen visionary or anything like that. In fact, Steve really doesn't talk that often, but Cristiano has been in the last couple of years. He's kind of been the face of the company. He's been that outgoing persona for Qualcomm. And we're already seeing changes preceding the CEO change, you know, with the announcement of uh, the acquisition of Nuvia. So, I mean, I think what we're going to see, and, and to give Steve credit, I mean, he managed the company through some very difficult times with all the FTC lawsuits around the world, with the Apple issues and lawsuits, with the Broadcom takeover attempt. You know, he's managed that. And at least now the company's on stable ground. They're doing exceptionally well with the rollout of 5G, not to mention their expansion in other markets like IoT and automotive. And I think Cristiano brings not only kind of a new perspective for the company, I think he's going to help change the way the company has their outreach and being more vocal and more 
kind of a more real uh, life-size market presence in there, which Qualcomm should have as an industry leader. But I also think he's going to be a little bit more aggressive. you got to remember that Qualcomm hasn't attempted any acquisitions or anything since the NXP deal kind of failed because China wouldn't approve it. Already we're seeing a change with the acquisition of Nuvia. So I think that this changing of the guard represents a definite change in philosophy for the company. I mean, he came from the, the chip side of Qualcomm, not the licensing side. So he's going to bring maybe more emphasis on chip. I mean, this is one thing about Nuvia is that the acquisition of Nuvia will help the Snapdragon family and, and the expansion around their silicon footprint. Do you think he's going to also be an advocate for the licensing side of, uh, of Qualcomm? Oh, I think he will. I think QTL is still a very critical part in R&D as a whole, is a huge chunk of Qualcomm's investment. So I think he's going to leverage that. But more importantly, I think when you when you talk to Cristiano or if you look at where his kind of emphasis is, it's not just going to be about mobile. It's going to be about everything else that they can do, whether it's in automotive, whether it's in IoT, whether it's in AR, VR, whether it's in PCs. You know, he wants to aggressively push the company in new areas. And I think that's going to lead, that that's going to expand Qualcomm's IP portfolio. So I, I think that you're going to get the best of both worlds by having him push these new markets. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a much more visible CEO, I think, in going forward. And that's that will help promote Qualcomm to a more visible company overall. And that's maybe part of the things they've been sort of, they're, they're sort of in the background. A lot of people just don't understand who Qualcomm is and what they do. And what you may not know about this guy is he's also a car guy. Yeah. He actually, he, he's, he's from Brazil. He actually went down and got kind of the Brazilian version of a Nova, 70s, uh, early 70s Nova, brought it up, had it fully restored. The first time he showed me a picture of it, he says, do you know what this is? I said, it looks like a Nova, but the front grille is wrong. He says, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he is a car guy, and he, he's, I really, really like that. Well, that will definitely play to Qualcomm's emphasis on automotive, especially seeing how their, their, their recent event right after CES was heavily oriented towards automotive. So that's definitely a sign that automotive is going to get even more emphasis going forward, probably. So, so those are the two least controversial i think movements now intel is the kind of the juicy topic because intel it this was it did not seem to be planned this seemed to be a sudden change of leadership and to bring back pat gelsinger as somebody called him the particle son returning to intel i think it was nathan brookwood i think he used that term first but this is a definitely a, a juicy story because Intel has been troubled. It needed a change in leadership. It needs somebody to kind of snap it back into shape. Do you think Pat's the guy to do it? You know, it, it's it's definitely interesting timing when you look at it because, yes, Intel's been losing some market uh, share to AMD as re- recently. They've had troubles with getting some of their, their last couple of manufacturing nodes up and running. And they've been challenged expanding into new markets. However, the timing is kind of odd because they have the brand new architecture, heterogeneous processor architecture coming out this year. They have their new discrete graphics solutions, their XE graphics coming out this year. And they're finally ramping 10 nanometers. So 
it's kind of like Intel's just regaining its footing at the early stages. So it's kind of odd that it happened now, but they were also getting pressure from Wall Street. Some investors were pushing for some, quote, strategic options. One was even, you know, looking at possibly selling the fabs, which Pat has already said that, you know, that's not really, that's off the table at this point. But do I think Pat's the right guy? You know, he started there in 1979, worked there up until eight years ago when, because of some of the changing winds in Intel, it was clear he was not going to be the next CEO because of the political winds. But, you know, they've invited him back several times. He's declined it several times. And now at this time, he's finally taken it. I think he kind of gives the best of all worlds. I mean, we've criticized Intel in the past for not looking outside the company to bring in new people to lead the company. At least here's somebody that knows Intel, knows their past, knows their culture, and has the experience outside the company. Not so far outside. I mean, VMware was still a critical Intel partner, but he has more visibility into the industry and everything else. So I, I think he is the guy to do it. Matter of fact, he's the only guy I would really recommend for running Intel at this point. We've suggested him multiple times. There, I think there's a number of people within Intel that are happy that he's coming back. In fact, a number of ex-Intel employees in various leadership roles and technical roles are returning to Intel now that Pat's coming back. So there actually is a bit of getting the old band back together feel to this as well. What I hope, though, is, you know, so Pat is a Andy Grove disciple. He, he believed in the, the era of Andy Grove and in the management style Andy. But Andy's style uh, was also fairly combative. And often there were some issues in the technical roadmaps where certain people got beat down and other people drove the roadmap who, just because they were the loudest and they had the most capable arguments, not necessarily because they had the best design or best idea. I, I just think about hyper, hyper pipelining and the Pentium 4 as a dead end that a number of people at Intel all believed in. And even Pat himself presented at IDF talking about hitting 10 gigahertz at some point in time, which we never did and, and never will. So there was a time when Intel could go down a rat hole on certain ideas and get uh, a mindset of, you know, not listening to outside and, and not listening to enough opinion. I don't think that's going to be a case now. I think Pat is having been a VMware long enough. I think he's got enough exterior view of the world. Uh, hopefully he will bring that experience in. But there's definitely a high expectation right now that Pat will turn things around. And some of the stuff is going to take a little longer than uh, overnight. You know, there's an argument uh, as to should a business person be running Intel or should a technical person be running Intel? And you could make arguments either way. You know, the first business person with a business background that ran Intel was Paul Odellini. He came in at a time very similar to this, where Intel was behind the, the curve in terms of its competition. And he really refocused the company on its core competencies and got it back back going again. You know, that was also kind of at the cost of some of their forays into other markets, but it may have been the right person at the right time. But don't forget one thing, though. Paul Adelini is the guy who turned down Apple to design the chip for the iPhone. So Paul also realized that was his, his biggest miss. He was so focused on paring down the business, he got rid of that part of the business, but he missed a huge opportunity. 
Yeah, that was the Excel stuff. And I agree. But I think right now, more than anything, you know, we're going through a lot of major market inflection points with AI, with building out new networks and everything else. Um, not to mention new technologies, whether it's quantum, neuromorphic, you know, all these different technologies are going to feed into uh, the tech industry of the next 15, 20 years. I think really now is the time to have a technologist leading that has a vision. And I think that's the one thing Pat really brings back. We've said this before, that there's kind of a dearth of visionaries in the tech industry. You know, 20 years ago, you were used to Bill Gates and Andy Grove or Craig Barrett or Larry Ellison standing up these conferences, Steve Jobs, and giving a vision. This is where the industry is going to go. Now, they weren't always right, but they gave a vision. And I think that's one thing Pat brings back. He was kind of the the persona for Intel when he led the IDF every year. You know, he really pushed for the Intel Developer Conference and made that one of the industry's premier events at the time. And he's accustomed to looking 5, 10, 15 years out. And yeah, not all of the bets are going to work out. Matter of fact, not all of his bets worked out. But I, I think you really, really have to have that right now if you're going to be in the industry. And you have to make some of those big bets, knowing that not all of them are going to pay out. So I think that uh, he is the right person at the right time for that reason. But I also expect to see Intel be a little more combative going forward. I think the part of the historic Intel is a bit of a combative company, and I think that's what he'll bring a little more to it. And and that's I think it was Brian Korzanich and Bob Swan. Bob Swan were, I think, maybe less combative, less, less competitive of, by nature. And I think Pat is very competitive. So I think that you'll see that come back to Intel a little more. Right now, Intel has did gain a little bit of market share in some markets. And I think it's he has one advantage. I think AMD is running into capacity constraints. So I don't think AMD can gain share without gaining more capacity for TSMC. And that might be at least a, in the short term, a way to kind of bolster what Intel's position is in the marketplace. Exactly. And Intel's ramping new capacity right now. So that does bode well for them. So it's it'll be interesting. I'm the biggest thing I'm waiting to see is is he reinstall instilling the existing or old Intel culture, or is he going to try to bring a new culture? You know, from that represents him, that represents his experience at VMware. You know, Intel has been a difficult company, especially for anybody that's been acquired by them. Uh, anybody from the outside often faces brick walls. And it's like a battleship, or it's actually like an aircraft carrier. It doesn't turn very quickly. So, you know, will will that change under Pat? And I think that's the biggest challenge is what does Intel's culture become under Pat? Yeah, and then he has two key acquisitions, Habana and Mobileye, that are based in Intel, I'm sorry, based in Israel, that uh, will be interesting to see how Pat gets along with, with those two companies and, and that team. I expect they'll get along fine, but there's... Uh, they're, they run a little more independently than a typical Intel acquisition has in the past. So they've been an interesting experiment to see if Intel's ability to uh, screw up their acquisitions can be uh, waylaid by the by Israelis. Anyway, so that's, that's definitely a, a, it's going to be interesting to watch this. And we still have yet to see a, a real in-depth interview with Pat yet. So we, I guess we're getting some, some time to settle in. And hopefully he'll give up some interviews soon. To get a better idea of where he's going with the company. So, next question will be, who could be next? What company would be next to 
to have a CEO turnover. We've already we already pre this we discussed AMD as an option, and we think Lisa Sue's pretty well ingrained in uh, AMD for at least uh, for now, at least until the Xilinx acquisition is complete. But you know, Lisa Sue's got to be a highly desired and sought after CEO candidate. So AMD is going to have to work hard to keep her. Any other ideas? You know, I think you have to go through the billionaires list. And, you know, I would start looking at companies like Facebook and Alibaba, Tencent, you know, the big internet companies may be in for some changes, just like Amazon. In terms of semiconductors or other tech companies, you know, I don't see a lot of movement uh, or reason for movement and like the OEMs, especially PCs and servers right now. But Semiconductors, you've got some changes going on through acquisitions and mergers, as well as just the age of some of the staff that's out there. So we may see some changes in some of the other semiconductor companies coming up here pretty soon, uh, either due to acquisitions or due to just, you know, a changing of the guard. It's kind of hard to say right now. I can't look at any particular company and, and really predict. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't have predicted... The Qualcomm, I wouldn't have predicted any of these three going into 2021. So it kind of surprises me. Yeah, you know, and I think these are more highly visible changes. A lot of times, some of the more embedded companies, less less visible companies, you get CEO transitions going on to go smoothly. You you barely notice that there's a change in, in that position. But these were very visible and garnered a lot of attention. So, well, look forward to seeing how this turns out, especially the Intel side. That's going to be interesting. You know, if they, if if there's any of these big multi-billion dollar companies are looking for a new CEO, I'm always available. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, that's not going to happen because uh, we can't lose you. <laughs> All right. All right. That, I, think, I think it's time to wrap this up then. So with that, it brings a wrap to another Tyrius cast. Please remember that Tyrius Research is a market research and advisory firm and potential CEO position that provides custom <laughs> research and advice to the entire high-tech ecosystem from sensors to the cloud. This includes custom market sizing, product and company competitive analysis, M&A evaluation, product and corporate strategy planning, market strategies, CEO strategies, you name it. If you'd like more information about Tyrius Research or inquire about our services, please contact us directly at Kevin at Tyrius Research, that's T-I-R-I-A-S research.com, Jim at TyriusResearch.com, or at Francis, another one of our colleagues that is not on this podcast, Francis at TyriusResearch.com. You can also visit our website at www.TyriusResearch.com, and please keep up with us on social media. We have at Tyrius Research, at Crewell, K-E-R-W-E-L-L. K-R-K-R-E-W-E-L-L. Did I say that wrong? You said that wrong. Oh, dyslexia. Dyslexia strikes at will, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, at, at Tech Strategist. That's T-E-K Strategist for myself, Jim McGregor. Obviously, I can't spell anyway. So, And <laughs> at F Sedeco, that's F. S-I-D-E-C-O for Francis Sedeco. Also, look for our articles and podcasts. We're in Forbes, EE Times, ECT News, and Microelectronics in Taiwan. That's if you read Mandarin Chinese. In addition, we also have white papers posted on our website and a link to our newsletter, which you can subscribe to if you'd like to have it sent to us directly on your email. 
The newsletter comes out usually monthly, maybe a little later, and covers topics that we cover in our articles, research, and white papers, and some bonus material at times. You can find this and other Tyrius Casts on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Just search for Tyrius Research. Thank you for joining us. If you have any feedback on this Tyrius Cast or recommendations for future Tyrius Cast topics, please contact us directly. Once again, that's Kevin at TyriusResearch.com, Jim at TyriusResearch.com, or Francis at TyriusResearch.com. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you.